Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. A few days ago, we held the first part of a conversation about the state of play in the Eastern Mediterranean, one of the cradles of human civilization, which of course includes not only spiritual and technological progress, but also friction and conflict. We tried to lay out the various interests and policies of several actors, from Athens and Ankara to Jerusalem, Cairo and Nicosia. Now in our second part, we will try to do what sailors did in the Med from the time immemorial and peer into the fog, looking for a beacon from some lighthouse before we are grounded on a reef or beach. Joining us from central Israel to do so is Dr. Ran Lerman, who is the Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security and a lecturer at Shalem College in Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from another location in uh, central Israel is Dr. Chaitan Konyan-Arochak, who is a research fellow at the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security as well, as well as uh, at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you very much. And with me in the studio is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren. Uh, Amir, give us an understanding with regard to today's topic, also on a more of a, a superpower competition when we're talking about Russia, about the United States, about China for that matter. How are things actually uh, in this complex, uh, complex uh, territory also impacting uh, Israel and, and regional actors? Well, some Americans uh, will take issue uh, with your definition of uh, Russia as a superpower, even though, of course, uh, with the nuclear arsenal uh, that it still has, uh, it uh, is a very potent uh, military power. Not um, uh, the same uh, goes for its economy, but nevertheless, yes, the Americans do uh, look uh, to China and Russia as their peer competitors. Now, in the Mediterranean, um, a few days ago, uh, there was a very interesting statement by the uh, chief of the general staff of the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, Lieutenant General Aviv Kohavi, in commanding the uh, submarine force of the Israeli Navy, he mentioned, among uh, other challenges, that it has to operate within great power friction. Now, of course, he didn't go into details, but what he obviously meant was that as Israeli submarines uh, have been plying the waters uh, of the Mediterranean uh, along the uh, coast of uh, Syria and perhaps other countries, they had to take care not to tangle with Russian submarines and perhaps uh, others. So this is the military aspect. Uh, obviously, uh, we are um, on the eve of the onset of the Biden administration. We don't know whether the new uh, president will reverse wholly or partially the policy of his predecessor regarding the withdrawal of American forces, especially boots on the ground, from the Levant and other places in the region. If he does, uh, a vacuum will be left uh, for the Russians, perhaps not uh, for the Chinese military-wise, but the Chinese are coming in with their industries, with their infrastructure uh, projects, 
and uh, we may see a Russian-Chinese competition here. Now, we mentioned Turkey, and um, apparently uh, President Erdogan, in, in being the uh, neo-Ottoman, uh, knows that he should not repeat the mistakes of the Ottomans in overextending their empire. And we have seen only recently so many problems that Turkey uh, got itself into Nagorno-Karabakh. In Syria, they have a problem uh, with Assad and with the, the Russians. Libya, they got into, they were not there. It, it was not uh, 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 some problem uh, which was forced uh, upon them. Greece, Cyprus, exploration in the Mediterranean, France, so many problems. And perhaps this is one reason why there are uh, news reports recently of some rapprochement between Erdogan and Israel, at least some feelers regarding the posting of a new ambassador. There were reports uh, of a visit by the head of uh, Turkish uh, intelligence, Hakan Fidan. It was not confirmed, as usually such uh, reports are not. But nevertheless, it seems as if Turkey understands that if it wants to have a hand in the game, it must be um, on better relations with all of the players. It cannot boycott Israel. Dr. Leoman, I'd like to picture a, a certain strategic outlook uh, of the Eastern Mediterranean when we're talking about uh, Israel's offshore reservoirs, gas reservoirs. Uh, there is, of course, the Tamar and, and uh, Leviathan. Uh, the uh, now Karish Tanin is, uh, is now in uh, process of development. But uh, the, the biggest actor that entered uh, to overtake uh, uh, the previous... Uh, uh, I, a certain, uh, I don't know if a majority owner, but a, a minority owner with uh, significant input uh, uh, now uh, is uh, purchased, uh, uh, of course, Noble Energy, purchased uh, by the multinational corporation Chevron. Uh, it is looking to move forward on exports to the major market in the region and the European Union. Uh, of course, uh, through uh, the East Med Forum, we're talking about Israel cooperating with Cyprus and Greece, uh, of course, with Egypt and, and other actors. But Cyprus and Greece uh, are looking to establish a pipeline into Europe, which would uh, establish a diversified market uh, uh, to a certain degree. Now, we have, of course, Russia, which has 77 of its gas exports uh, directed towards Europe, with uh, a big chunk of that, uh, over 50%, going to Germany alone. How is Russia now going to look at uh, the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean, and to what degree does it want to get involved in trying to uh, challenge uh, this uh, process at a time when it uh, may uh, substitute certain losses to its uh, uh, economy, considering the fact that its gas exports amount to about 12.5% of its uh, 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 GDP. Well, there's a paradox here, because from my experience, the Russians have never been very aggressive in pushing um, uh, <laughs> gas, uh, the rights of Gazprom uh, upon us when uh, this was still open to negotiation. And um, I, I don't think they really see Israel and uh, Cyprus or even Egypt 
as a, a real threat to their hold on the northern European markets. The uh, Italian market, the, uh, the Mediterranean market, is significant, but uh, it is not a major uh, element of the of the Russian equation. Uh, but I have to say, when the Americans are in uh, with Chevron, for example, then uh, we may have uh, a sort of Russian instinct to undermine the Americans, which we, which comes up every every time. There's almost a, a I would say, sort of a, a compulsive reaction by the Russians to an American presence. Chevron in itself is an amazing thing because uh, for the first 70 years of Israel's existence, none of the sisters, the famous seven, well, they used to be seven, then they've merged, and I think we are down to four or five. But the big uh, uh, oil companies, the big energy uh, conglomerates, the huge ones, the Exxon, uh, once called ESSO, and, uh, and uh, Chevron and uh, BP, which the Iranians uh, interpret as bloody pirates, and, uh, and Shell, etc. cetera, uh, <clears throat> they wouldn't touch Israel with a 10-foot pole because, of course, that would have given them serious trouble with their Arab uh, providers. Nowadays, with uh, the situation being transformed almost on a daily basis within Israel and, and much of the Arab world, Chevron can uh, advertise in Israel, invest in Israel, buy a, a, an asset, a major asset in Israel, and, and feel quite at home. So uh, this all, of course, complicates matters to some extent. Uh, but the Russians, Russian position has a mitigating factor which doesn't necessarily come from sheer economic consideration. The Russians have sen uh, sentimental, strategic, national, even religious um, attitude towards Greece and Cyprus, towards fellow uh, Greek orth uh, Christian Orthodox nations, uh, the Mother Church, that um, somehow modifies uh, their, uh, their policies in the region and have made them very favorable towards the Israeli-Greece-Cypriot uh, alignment. Moreover, uh, when it comes to Egypt, the Russians see a prospect of having good relations with this powerful player, and in Libya, for example, where the Americans are either playing uh, um, intermediary or uh, out of the game, the Russians have come in on the side of Egypt and France, supporting the Haftar LNA in the Libyan war. So in this, in this one particular front uh, against the Turkish meddling and the Muslim Brotherhood, we are in the same boat. Um, on, the, on the Brotherhood, Moscow looks upon the Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. Paradoxically, their Gaza offshoot, Hamas, is treated by the Russians as an interlocutor. But the Muslim Brotherhood as such, because of Chechnya and other reasons, is considered in Russia a terrorist organization. So uh, I, I think we have uh, significant commonalities with Moscow on a certain set of issues, big differences on others. And we do have an open dialogue at the highest level between the Israeli and, and Russian leadership. And I think that gives us some, uh, some leeway looking towards the future. Dr. Konya uh, when we're looking at the, the aspects of, of 
Russia's involvement, to what degree are the, uh, the Turkish authorities concerned by the, the growing influence of Russia in, in certain areas, bordering, of course, with, uh, uh, with Turkey in the eastern Mediterranean, of course, uh, uh, the, the reach of, of Turkey now into the Nagorno-Karabakh slash Azerbaijan, looking now also to different uh, adventures there with, uh, of course, some backlash from the Iranians over a poem that uh, classified Azerbaijan and parts of Iran as Turkish territory. Uh, now, uh, Turkey is, of course, uh, uh, in the, the backyard of the Russians. Will we see now the the Russians intensify their involvement in, in the Eastern Mediterranean as a response? Well, first of all, uh, let me emphasize that uh, Russia is considered as a historical nemesis of the Republic of Turkey. Uh, the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Empire fought 13 times, and unfortunately the Turks never have defeated the Russians. And as a result, in the aftermath of the Second World War, Turkey uh, had to come to the conclusion that it has to align with the Western camp. And uh, of course, nowadays, because of this uh, precious loneliness foreign policy doctrine, uh, we are seeing that Ankara is also conducting a rapprochement towards Russia uh, when they also acquired S-400 uh, missile systems. But uh, while doing that, we cannot say that the Turkish foreign policy entirely, uh, entirely began to engage with the Russian uh, foreign policy agenda. In the beginning of our program, uh, for instance, Amir Oren uh, mentioned that Turkish foreign policy is engaging in problems. Well, uh, in Libya, from my perspective, they really succeeded and I really don't think that they got into a problem. But uh, rather Erdogan uh, can portray this as a huge success for the Turkish foreign policy. Besides that, also for Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, for the first time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, since the, the First World War, the Turks uh, came back to the Russian backyard, which means to Caucasia. And nowadays uh, they uh, could liberate, uh, of course, from the Turkish perspective I'm speaking, they could liberate uh, the uh, some of the portions of I mean, the vast majority of the Nagorno-Karabakh region. And as you mentioned, Mr. Erdogan also uh, also mentioned this uh, song called Aras, which is uh, referring to the Aras River. And he referred uh, in the poem that the other side of the Aras River, which means the Iranian Azerbaijan, was taken away by force by the Iranians. And as a result, it created a huge problem. So... Uh, the real name of the game here is that the Turkish administration is not feel is not feeling any deterrence from the Russians. Uh, they challenged Russia in Syria. Of course, there were uh, Turkish casualties. Uh, 34 Turkish soldiers were killed. But at the end of the day, Turkish presence is still there in northern Syria. Turkey challenged uh, uh, Russia in Libya and they stopped Haftar's offensive towards Tripoli and they saved uh, the Tripoli government. And now uh, we are seeing that thanks to Turkey's uh, UAVs, the Azerbaijani military uh, basically declared a very important victory against the Armenians and Turkey could penetrate in Caucasia. And also, um, from my perspective, this, uh, new, uh, this new strategic picture is sending a real clear message to Russians and to Iranians as well, 
and they are uh, basically they are very much surprised because Turkey was very much inside of its borders and under Erdogan it is going out from its uh, own natural borders and these countries are trying to figure out how they can uh, basically design a foreign policy towards Turkey. For instance, uh, right after the friction between Iran and Turkey, maybe you are aware of it or not, but the Turkish intelligence agency conducted some operations inside Turkey and they arrested some so-called Iranian agents. It means mm -hmm. that it means that when whenever there is a friction with Turkey, the Turkish administration seeks to show the other side that uh, the friction itself or the protests uh, that the Iranian government is doing has a price. So when, when we are looking at the Eastern Mediterranean, given the all of these successes uh, in Caucasia and Libya and relative, uh, let me say, success, given the existence of the Turks in, in Syria, I think uh, the Turkish administration is portraying this whole friction and this brinkmanship policy in the Eastern Mediterranean as a huge success because it is conducted against the Cypriots and to Greeks. So Mr. Erdogan is using, utilizing and exploiting the Turkish foreign policy for his own agenda at home, for the domestic, for the domestic policy purposes. Even though the uh, arrest of the 11 Iranian agents that you're referring to uh, in light of the abduction of uh, Iranian dissident from Turkish soil, uh, abducting him by uh, various means and then crossing the border into Iran, was conducted because of uh, Iranian uh, actions without Turkish consent uh, on its uh, territory. And uh, this uh, also followed after that uh, a very interesting poll. Uh, Mr. Oren, which I would like to hear from you about, uh, a poll within Turkey uh, conducted among uh, 20,000 Turkish respondents uh, on whether you rather have relations uh, between Turkey and Israel or Turkey and Iran. 83% of all respondents w would rather have relations with Israel over Iran at a time where there is, of course, uh, uh, no true relations uh, on the political level, of course, on the business level, it's business as usual. But uh, how do you see this uh, complexities occur? And on the uh, other hand, uh, I'd like also to bring China into the picture. China has been, been playing a big role now with all of the coronavirus aspects. They use Turkey as a country to test its vaccines. Uh, now it also uh, uh, provided its vaccines to Egypt and other countries in the region. It's slowly integrating more and more of its influence in all kind of countries. Do you see this also expand in the near future? So just a word about uh, Turkey. We are 10 years already away from the Mavi Marmara incident and the emotions uh, are not running as high. And within the Turkish public, of course, they are used to seeing many Israelis uh, visit Turkey, Turkish airlines flying to Ben-Gurion Airport as one of the busiest uh, airlines here, probably second only to El Al, when, uh, when COVID-19 does not uh, impair uh, flight uh, operations. And uh, there is no friction right now between the peoples of Turkey and Israel. Uh, Government-wise, yes, people can read about it, but uh, that again, Turkey has so many adversaries right now that Israel is uh, obviously not at the top uh, of the list. And there is no reason uh, for, for the average Turk 
to feel enmity towards Israel, even though these are Muslims vis-a-vis -vis Jews. Uh, um, Eitan Chai uh, can uh, probably speak about it much better. But even though it's Sunni Muslims versus Jews, as yes. opposed to Sunni Muslims versus Shiite Muslims, who are a lot more, uh, or experience a lot more animosity towards one another historically than towards the Jews themselves. <clears throat> there, is, there is no basic inbred hostility uh, within the Turkish people against Israelis um, as such. And, and we saw that there are problems between um, the Erdogan government and the Christians. When you take a church or a cathedral and uh, you turn it uh, into a mosque or return it uh, to a mosque, of course, there's, there's uh, a problem. But uh, what you mentioned regarding China has to do with uh, the review of American policy now that the Biden administration will uh, consider its options. China has been portrayed by the Trump administration as enemy number one for the United States. Now, of course, they don't say China. They say the Chinese Communist Party to try and portray some distance between the country or the government and the party. But nevertheless, Biden will have to see how he operates vis-a-vis -vis China. And that includes also the Israeli-Chinese relationship, which we have seen grated on the nerves of various American administrations, going back to the first Bush administration and then Clinton and so on, with various uh, businesses. But let me bring uh, into the discussion one secondary point, the Gaza Strip. If we are going to have some improvement in the relations between Israel and Gaza on humanitarian grounds and other grounds, it will have an impact on the Eastern Mediterranean, on the southeastern corner of the Mediterranean, because Gaza will become a player, not a major player, but nevertheless, it may have down the road an artificial island as uh, its harbor, and it may have uh, some claims for uh, resource exploration. So this is a point uh, to consider. It is in Israel's interest for Gaza to have something to lose if there is another war. But uh, economically-wise, one should consider that Gaza is joining the game. Well, there is uh, gas reservoirs already identified on, uh, off the shore of Gaza, and uh, nobody is uh, willing to touch that because of uh, the uh, terrorist factor in the, the Hamas-controlled enclave. But, uh, Dr. Lehrman, we don't have very much time left in today's program. I'd like to understand uh, to what degree considering uh, that the United States is now in, in the process of a power shift in Washington. Uh, of course, policies are going to change to a certain degree, and uh, there is not going to be as much continuity as one may hope uh, between one administration to another. Uh, but uh, we do see now uh, the Russians, of course, having a bigger stake in Turkey with uh, uh, their nuclear reactor being uh, developed also in uh, Turkey, but also doing so in Egypt. There is also cooperation with Egypt on multiple levels. And we see that now vacuum may emerge from the United States pullout, which would then 
provide more room maybe for the Russians slash Chinese to enter <coughs> as they uh, uh, have already voiced interests in doing so. Uh, do you see this now uh, developing in that direction? Well, <coughs> it's an interesting question because uh, the Biden administration is beginning to shape up. It's very much a 1945 dispensation um, advocate. That's to say, when Trump tried to bring down the institutional structure of, uh, of alliance and, and uh, American leadership that uh, basically underpinned the world order since 45, the Biden administration, led uh, by Tony Blinken and, and Jake Sullivan, I believe uh, will, uh, will work in the opposite direction, to rebuild the transatlantic as well as a trans-Pacific uh, quad uh, basis of alliance. And um, this will bring uh, the United States and France, perhaps, into an alignment also in the Eastern Mediterranean. The major advocate of uh, pro-Turkish policies in Washington has left already within the Trump administration. It's very difficult to talk about continuity even within Trump policy because there were so many inconsistencies uh, in during the administration's uh, period of office when it comes to Turkey and the Eastern Med. But, uh, and Pompeo is certainly no friend of Turkey. Uh, Jeff, uh, I would say Jeffrey was, but he's no longer with us, Jim Jeffrey. Uh, the Biden administration, uh, there's, no, there's a reason why Erdogan is doing so much to try and mollify and, and be nice to the incoming team because he knows that they have a low opinion of his policies. And if they team up with France as part of a new um, recreation, reestablishment of a transatlantic uh, relationship, this could have an impact also in the Eastern Mediterranean in ways which I would say cohere with Israeli interests. Mr. Olin, we, uh, one last sentence. To what degree is Israel heading in the right direction at this stage, uh, again, with an outlook <coughs> to the Eastern Mediterranean? Well, we haven't uh, spoken about Israel's domestic crisis. Israel uh, has been in a political deadlock for the last uh, two years, may still be there a few months from now if, there, if we see elections, until a government stabilizes. The national security policy of Israel is uh, basically constant, but the political echelon has to sort itself out, and only in mid-2021 will we know the answer to your question. Even though it's evident that Israel is diverting its uh, resources from uh, Air Force and other uh, tools at its disposal to a stronger navy, considering its uh, uh, growing uh, interest in the Eastern Mediterranean. Only uh, in the margins. It's not really a transformation. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Eran uh, Lehrman, uh, Dr. Konya Narochak, and Mr. Amir Oren for today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.